Hey folks, before we begin, a quick update. This past year has been the biggest year of Blamo ever, and I wanted to thank you all so much for being a part of it. Since we started, we've done live events at PT Womo in Florence, meetups around the world, and now released over a hundred episodes. All of this is because folks like you have tuned in, told your friends, and spread the word. So thank you. But we want to hear from you. And yes, we, because it's not just me anymore. There's other folks working on this too. But let us know how things are going. To celebrate all of this, I wanted to go back to the beginning when I did the first pod with one of my oldest friends, Brian Davis. Brian was the perfect guest because one, he was my friend and I could make him do it. And also, he was always hustling, building his brand, which many of you now know, Wooden Sleepers. So he's back. Brian and I discussed the infamous grind five years later and how far his business has come, why he has beef with Shark Tank, how to build a vintage collection, and why so many ex-hardcore dudes work in menswear. What was the last thing you watched on TV? Barry Ralph shed a goddamn tear. Made a stone if you didn't shed a tear at the end of that. Maybe I made a stone. Maybe. No, I, I, I teared up. I mean, I love the guy. Dude, I'll tell you what, man. This is no bullshit. This isn't like hyper-masculine shit. I didn't cry for like 12 years and I went to therapy a couple years ago and now I'll fucking cry at like a Huggies commercial. (laughs) I'm like opened up now. It's like something unlocked in me and I'm like an emotional, I wouldn't say I'm like an emotional mess, but it's just like shit just comes out of me. (laughs) That is really beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but also very funny at the same time. Yeah. So I please- think in my 20s, I was like a stone. Like I was like just surviving and like nothing could phase me. And then I was like, now I'm like a little more comfortable, I guess. How much of that do you think has to do with the fact you're a dad? Well, I've only been a dad for 11 months. So like I, this was before that. I think it was the therapy. You think so? I think it was the therapy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely dad shit, you know. But- On that note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Brian Davis, how you doing, man? Good, good, good. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting with me. This is the beginning, and hopefully not the end, but you were like the first Blamo episode. Honored. And... Legacy guest. <laughs> and now it's like, you were going to be the 100th episode, but I think because of scheduling stuff, obviously, I, what, you're... You are the 100th episode, air quote, but this is like, I don't know, 120? It's okay. Revisionist history. (laughs) But uh, I figured if there was any other person to talk to about not just like the grind of business, but also in a celebratory way, it's you. Because when I think of, you know, like the fact that like where you've come from to where, you know, what you do now, I mean, you were in your retail store in red hook sure are. this beautiful beautiful amazing shop um and so i mean i just it was kind of like just you know check in and see how things are going and also you know we'll have a have a glass of uh some bourbon here some some lovely 1792 shout out it's amazing yeah compliments to the chefs yeah the bourbon chefs yeah whoever cooked this up yeah there you go what they're doing um so how are things Good, man. Good, good. Yeah, you know, we're celebrating our five-year anniversary this month, so that's exciting. Feels like an important milestone in a small business. Five F- years. Five years. Yeah, it's crazy. That, that, is, that is a serious long time, especially when you think of like this generation now where it's like, what? Like, you see something and you end up forgetting about it, you know, a couple weeks later. And sure. the fact that you think of all these other startups or brands that have, you know, had some sort of, you know, no shots fired here, but some we're doing this, but better. Mm. And you have come along. And I think, you know, the thing that I've loved the most about Wooden Sleepers and and what you've been doing is like, you're more of a, you're a brand, you're a shop, but you're also more of a storyteller. Mm. Like all the things that are in this shop in a lot of ways have had a story before they even enter your shop. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, people ask me all the time, like, where do you get your stuff? Where do you, like, where do you source this stuff? And, you know, that's kind of like giving away the 11 herbs and spices. You can't really like get into too much detail, but I'll say this, I've touched every single piece in the store. Yeah. Every single piece goes through my eye, goes, I touch it, I 
mend it, I clean it, I do whatever needs to get done, but I've touched every single piece. So there's not a piece in here that, that I didn't see something in, whether it was in a heap of crap in some flea market. And it's like, no, that's the, that's the diamond in the rough. And I'm going to bring it back here. So that's where the edit comes in. Well, hold on, clear the air for me real quick, because you don't just go to a wherever uh flea market someone's attic and then just throw it in the shop right because you just said mend it clean it up sure yeah yeah i mean you know i like to stay true to the the original form so we're not reworking vintage pieces you know a lot of people come in and they think because the place smells good there's like nice music playing it's merchandised nicely everything's like folded and clean and they don't even know it's vintage they think like oh this is new stuff that's made to look old and it's like no this is real vintage stuff and I'll do whatever I need to do to get it to a point where it's wearable. Um, so if we need to like sew a button on, patch a hole up, you know, alter in some little way to just get right. it ready for the public, that, that's what I do. I'm not reworking things or taking things apart and putting them back together again. But it drives me mad when you go into a vintage store and they're charging vintage store prices and there's like a big hole in it or it's missing a button. It's like, come on, put the put the button back on it. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like people are paying a premium to shop in a vintage store. So give them a premium product. Right. Well, I mean, because you're already doing that in the sense that you have done the hard work by not just finding it, but also, and I, I say this because I think merchandising is an art mm-hmm. and you're really, really good at that. Like, you know, we look at the mannequins and the stuff that like you've thrown up on the walls. I don't think I would ever look at stuff the way you you're able to see it. I mean, I'm one of the guys who's like I don't I don't have I don't have like fashion style. I just like copy other things, which I'm totally fine that's with. BS. Whatever. You're like but, the most stylish guy I know. So no, that's all that's all BS, well, but I appreciate it. Thank you. But the the looks and stuff that you put together, that in itself like changes how I've interpreted and even understood a lot of these garments. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a a thing for me from the get go was that I didn't want vintage to look like you were wearing a costume. So I tend to avoid head to toe period specific looks where it's like, oh, obviously that's like the 30s guy or that's the cowboy from the 50s or that's like the 60s, like countercultural guy. Like (laughs) I want to pick and choose my favorite things from American style from any given period and then put them together. They're like little building blocks, you know, and I'm just looking for the quintessential version of whatever that thing is. So if I'm looking for like the perfect khaki pant, I can go to like the 50s U.S. military khaki pant. If I'm looking for the perfect Oxford cloth shirt, I can go to like an 80s Brooks Brothers Oxford cloth shirt. Um, If I want the perfect heavyweight rugby shirt, I only have to go to like an 80s or 90s like L.L. Bean or Land's End. Um, And then we can put all these things together because they play really nicely together. Yeah. All those classics play nicely together. And what I'm trying to do with my personal style, but also with the, the vibe of the store is just stock the best versions of those things that I can find. Because I think if you're a connoisseur of clothes, if you're interested in clothing, you want to get to that place of like, this is the best version. This is the purest version. It's sort of the distilled thing that all of these other things were based on. Right. Yeah. Because I think a lot of vintage stuff, you know, people think like the only accessible vintage and I say this as someone who's slowly like incorporated more and more of like vintage clothing and stuff in my wardrobe is a lot of people, their only entry point is a vintage t-shirt mm-hmm. because they're like, well, yeah, I already wear t-shirts. It's but- a great entry point though. Yeah. That's where I started. Well, you know, I started buying 50 cent vintage t-shirts in the church basement thrift store in my hometown on the North Fork, you know, cause I was like a punk kid in junior high school. I was just like listening to Nirvana and like Snoop Doggy Dog. And I was like, well, I don't want to wear Abercrombie and Fitch like everybody else. I'm going to go over here and try to find like a cool mohair sweater and some funky like 50-50 cotton poly blend t-shirt with like a ridiculous graphic on it and just feel like different, but like proud to be different. Right. Yeah. Well, who who taught you how to like mix all that stuff together? Like, where did you get that idea? So I think that it, when I when I look back on it, I think about where I grew up on the North Fork, and this was a very rural area. There was nothing to do. I was just like a punk kid, skateboarding, cut Yeah, I went to Mattituck High School. 
it was so small out there that like five towns went to the same high school basically. And there were still only a hundred kids in my class. So there's nothing to do. If you're like a punk kid, you know, you're skateboarding, I'm playing in little bands, going to thrift stores. If you ask me like, how did I learn how to put all this stuff together? I think it was just what I was seeing. I'm not going to say like my style was like fully formed when I was 14 years old. It'd be ridiculous. I wore plenty of total trash fits you know if you saw like a picture of me when i was a freshman in high school in like 1996 i was probably wearing like jenkos and like a basketball jersey and like a golf visor because i was like going to hardcore shows and that was like the style and some like athletic shoes you know but it took me i think i had these like pivotal style moments where it's like i would see somebody um like i talked about this a little bit but i you know i encountered this like other band from new jersey that my band played with they were called you and i and they showed up like we're all wearing like gigantic pants and basketball jerseys and like who knows what head like bandanas and whatever (laughs) they came in with like sharp creased like dicky pants shined up shoes like tucked in shirts button up shirts and like cardigans and i was like but they were still the super aggressive like frantic amazing punk hardcore band and i was like damn that's the look so i went through phases like my style was not fully formed at a young age whose is right so i was just sort of like it was something i was aware of from a young age i was always interested in clothes I liked the way certain clothing made me feel. I went to public school, so like you had to get dressed every day. And that was like something I enjoyed. I really liked like laying out the outfits the night before, like thinking about what I was going to wear, how to put it all together. But I'll tell you this, like if you look at a thrift store on the North Fork, I feel like it's a microcosm of the people who are there, right? So you've got this like, year-round towny element right and that's who i was this is like a blue collar working type of person who's either a farmer a clammer fisherman um mechanic construction worker so you've got that style right you've got car hearts you've got thermal lined hooded sweatshirts you've got work boots then you've got the summer people and i put that in air quotes because (laughs) every summer Where I grew up, affluent people came to their summer homes. Right. And these are people with yachts, boats, nice fancy clothes, seersucker jackets, madras shorts, you know, Alden loafers. And if you go into the thrift store, you're going to see that workwear stuff next to that Ivy style stuff. Right. For lack of a better term, you know, preppy stuff, whatever, next to some old military stuff. And to me, when I look around wooden sleepers, I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I'm into. I'm into all of it. Like, I don't think I have to be stuck in one thing. Like, I don't have to, like, I'm wearing workwear today because it's like below freezing. I'm wearing boots. I'm wearing heavy denim. I'm wearing a chambray shirt, a wool jacket. But in the summer, I'm not trying to wear that stuff. I want to wear the Madras shorts. I want to wear loafers in the summer. Right. So I can pick and choose from both of those worlds, even though I didn't come from the summer people world it was sort of thrust upon me and I got to sort of see it. I got to see what that style looked like. And it was interesting to me as a young kid. I was like, oh, that's, that's what they're doing. You know, maybe yeah. I can take a little piece of that, even though it, maybe it doesn't belong to me or I didn't feel like it did, but I can make it my own. Right. Well, here, like j- just a sidebar really quick. And I- I'm not going to try to walk you through your entire fit, but I mean, what, what are you wearing? Because the vest that you have is like definitely a vibe. <laughs> this is a Browns Beach vest. So Browns Beach is a workwear company that was formed in Massachusetts in 1901. It existed until the 50s. So the pieces are kind of rare. They were known for this kind of wool, like weird salt and pepper woven yeah. uh, type of fabric that's pretty warm. It's pretty utilitarian. It was designed for workers in the Northeast. It gets brutal cold. So you would layer a jacket over the vest. It's definitely workwear. Nothing precious about it. I wear the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, but they're super rare and like kind of hard to because, get. Because, you know, like when you're talking about early workwear, there's a finite amount of this stuff. You know, it wasn't mass produced like clothing is today. So over time, things, especially workwear, it got the hell beat out of it. So like people weren't keeping the stuff around. I'll tell you, like when I'm out sourcing for the store, 
the most common items I see that have been like perfectly preserved in people's attics or wherever are like these beautiful old military uniforms and or an old varsity jacket. Right. right. Because these are the things that have sentimental value to people. If they're 80 years old, they can go up to that attic and pull that garment out and it brings them back to a place in time. The stuff that gets thrown away are the old work jackets, the old work boots, undershirts. So for someone like me, who's in the vintage clothing business, that stuff actually becomes more covetable, right? Because those were just the everyday pieces that would have become garbage. Right. It's right. much more common to find like a really cool, pristine Eisenhower jacket from World War II than it is to find an undershirt. Oh, yeah. That's, that's right? a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, because the Browns Beach thing... I, and thank you for saying the name because I, I was trying to remember what it was because that's something that I see across the board in almost every like brand that will do something that is like a vest like or even a brand like Capital. Mm -hmm. Capital did a pant mm -hmm. where the the front pockets are like the brown beach pockets. Front. Sure. I mean, look, if you spend enough time around vintage clothing, you start to realize like all this stuff influences everything today yeah you know you can't go into a store in soho and not see a version of an m65 jacket or an n1 deck jacket or you know even something as simple as like a heavy duty flannel shirt right you know these are things that are just perennial sources of information uh, of inspiration and information <laughs> yeah. that up. no you're fine um, but yeah inspiration and information for i think the whole design community and that's why so many designers shop at our stores not just mine but vintage in general is just like a, a constant source of inf in inspiration <laughs> yeah because what's really and the thing that i totally love about the, your store is yeah like and i'll say this so you don't have to say mm -hmm. it at all you have some like heavy hitter dudes that'll come through here and people that you wouldn't necessarily think it's mm -hmm. not like, oh, some designer of, I'm making this up now, mm -hmm. like of Carhartt or whatever. Sure. But it's like you had like members of the Dolores Piana family come in here and get stuff. <laughs> so listen, <laughs> my thing from the, I had to make a decision when I opened the store, right? Because the store's public facing. I wanted it to be open. Like I didn't want it to be some secret club. Like I had a little showroom space prior to having the physical store. Right. And that was just, that wasn't, to be exclusive, that was just because I couldn't afford to have a store at that point. So I was like, let me start kind of baby steps, take on this little showroom space, build up a little clientele with the goal of eventually opening a store that would be open to the public. So right. what comes with that is like, you might have some guy who knows nothing about vintage clothing come in. And those are my favorite customers, right? Because then you can start a dialogue. You can maybe sell them their first piece of vintage, sort of help them along in that journey. And that's something that really, really excites me to watch that genuine interest develop into a style, right? But then we also have these corporate clients, designers, people from the top fashion brands in the world. And yeah. a decision I had to make early on, and this is not throwing shade at anybody, but I didn't want to be like the raised pizza in New York where there's like <laughs> the photo with you and the person who's coming in, right. hanging up on the wall. This is me and Scorsese. Yeah, this is like, me. <laughs> look, I, whatever celebrity, whatever design team comes in here, I want them to be as comfortable as possible. I'm not asking you for a selfie. I'm yeah. not asking you to post it on your Instagram. I'm not posting it on my Instagram. You know, we're operating under the radar in that regard. And yeah. that's not because we don't have those clients. We do. Yeah. But I'm not trying to like broadcast that out to the entire world. I just feel like it's unprofessional. It's a little tacky. Well, I'm going to be the tacky guy. <laughs> that's, that says it. Because also you have legendary fit god Jonah Hill who's coming here and got a bunch of stuff. And I say this only because I've seen it versus mm -hmm. like, you know, because you're not going like, yeah, like what you were saying. I mean, yeah, you're not going and bragging about it. You're not putting it all over your Instagram. Mm -hmm. You're not doing that. And I actually think that's why so many people really do love and respect your store because you're not like, you know, hawking on a street corner. You are a place that has is already an established vision mm -hmm. that is not shifting their vision to match whatever trend sure. and altering that to be accessible to that one celebrity that can give you a push it's sure. like you're fully formed and this is you know this is who you are and right. 
people, I think, really respect that. I mean, it's reflective of the neighborhood too, right? Like people always ask me, why did you open a store in Red Hook, right? And if for all the people out there listening, like Red Hook is a small peninsula in New York Harbor in Brooklyn. It's impossible to get to. It makes no (laughs) sense why you would ever open a business here. But I thought if it was good, people will come, right? Right. If it's good, like one of my favorite stores in New York City is Nepenthes. It's like in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. But people go because there's nothing else like it. So I figured, all right, well, I'm not engineered garments, but maybe if it's good enough, people will come. And they did. You know, and that's been the story of wooden sleepers from the get go is from the time we opened our doors, people have come and visited, whether it's, you know, big like design people from Manhattan or some vintage enthusiast from South Korea or Russia or Brazil or Paris, you know, people are always like, oh, like, you know, you must get a lot of visitors from Japan. Uh, Yes, of course. But the interest in vintage American clothing now is totally global. And people are coming from places you would never expect. Right. Yeah. Right. To to jump, one of the things that I want to like jump on is, is, you know, you're doing five years Mm -hmm. and well, you're celebrating five years and when we when you first came on the pod, you had just done, I think, wh- where were you in your business at that time? So what was that, like summer of 2016? Yeah, because you, you were the first of like what Boemo is now episode. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't say that as like to, to christen you, no, but I, just I, as... I rem- we've been friends a long time and yeah. I remember like having those conversations about like, this is what you should be doing. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, I'm like, I have to say congratulations because having a hundred episodes under your belt and you've had such amazing guests and I'm going to gas you up for a little while. You're always gassing the guests up, but like Blamo is, it's, it's been such a amazing thing for me to watch as a friend and as a fan of this world and as someone who participates in it in a professional way. Um, it touches a lot of, uh, interest for me. Um, so my first time around, uh, 2016, I had had the shop open since November of 14. Were you across the street? Right. So yeah, we opened up at 416 Van Brunt in the fall of 2014 and we moved across the street to a better store in spring of 16. So I came on Blamo the first time, like right after we had reopened basically. That was kind of just a crazy time in my life because I had kept the original store open because it was really important for me to give the appearance like everything was fine. I thought if I closed that store and then did the whole build out of the other store, people would be like, oh, you know, it's a shame. That store was really cool. <laughs> Too bad it didn't work out for them. Another you know? one bit by yeah. New York. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pay rent on both spaces. And so I kept the original store open, did the whole build out, which was just like, just as a sidebar, like when I say build out, like I'm not talking about some like $100,000 budget with contractors and a whole team. This is like me, my wife, Allison, her dad, Tony, and like Tony, my like one (laughs) part-time employee, Maurice, and my friend, Mark. Okay. Like that's the build out team. We were down here. I should mention I had a 40, 50 hour a week job at that time too. So yeah, I'm coming it- down here working all night, <laughs> working all weekend to do this thing really DIY. We built the whole thing out ourselves. And when it was finally ready, I said, all right, we'll close the other store for two days and we'll bring everything over and reopen. Okay. So it was like so disorienting for people in the neighborhood because they were like, it was there one day and then it's here the next day. Yeah. And we had no downtime. Yes, the holidays are here and I'm sure you're going to sit back, fire up the Yule log and pour that glass of 1792 bourbon. What's that? Oh, I'm drinking the award-winning Foolproof right now and heavens to Betsy, this is what bourbon is all about. It's made from their signature high rye recipe and the marriage of select barrels carefully chosen by their master distiller. 1792 Bourbon elevates whiskey to exceptional new heights. Because of this, 1792 Bourbon is celebrated by connoisseurs worldwide. That's why they've won Bourbon of the Year by acclaimed whiskey critic Jim Murray two years in a row. You can use 1792 Bourbon to make all your favorite bourbon spirits, but I prefer the old-fashioned. 
Visit 1792bourbon.com forward slash blammo to see and download our cocktail guide and toast in style with 1792 bourbon. Always drink responsibly and visit 1792bourbon.com forward slash blammo. So wait, you said that yeah, that because I knew you were you were working full time at that time. Why on earth were you doing that? I mean, because also just and I'll say this too, mm-hmm. like you're not props to any other business person that has a bunch of funding and mm-hmm. is independently wealthy or any of that stuff. Sure, that's you know I love you, but that's not you, and you, you no. are like the true example of just like grinding it out. And sure. so you're working. And then, but you still, you didn't really walk away from that career until a while later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why, yeah. why was that? I was there probably like a year and a half into having the store physically open. Yeah. And I think for me, like, I mean, gosh, like going back there, it was just security, you know, and I was financing the store myself. It started out as a side hustle. It was something I was passionate about and something that was deeply personal to me. Yeah. And so I didn't want to bring in a bunch of partners, a bunch of investors. I just wanted to sort of quietly do it myself, fund it myself. I had a little savings. So I said, all right, well, I think I can do it for this amount. I had the inventory. Um, and it was really just like, let's quietly open the store and see what happens. And then it just went from there. So there's this myth, right? <laughs> from people who like watch Shark Tank, where it's like, guilty. you got to go all in 100% <laughs> from like day one, right? Yeah. Like, and that may be the case for some people, but for me, I think it would have sank, right? Because I needed to put a little money in along the way. I was basically investing in myself, right? I was funding the business myself. I was the investor. right? So I was finding that balance and just working all the time. Like I would come down to the store after my job. I would be here all weekend. I was working seven days a week, all day, every day. And yeah, you, you kind of vanished. Yeah. You were just doing nothing but work. Terrible friend. No, not terrible friend. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. <laughs> yeah. But look, it was important for me to be independent. I don't know if it's like my punk rock roots, listening to like a lot of discord bands when I grew up, like just being in that world. Like for me, being fully independent, that was the goal, right? It's like, why do you start your own business? It's because you don't want to have a fucking boss. Like you don't want to have people to answer to. I don't want to have partners. I don't want to yeah. have a board. I don't want any of that shit. I just want to be here. This is my place. And if there's anything wrong with it, or if I feel bummed out about it, I only have one person to blame, and that's myself. And so Oof. I can change it, right? It's not like working. I worked for the biggest company in the world, right? Yeah. If you want to change something, it's like a 16-month timeline to turn <laughs> that ship. It's like here, yeah. if I want to change something, I'm changing it that day. Yeah. And again, like if I don't like something about it, or I'm feeling burnt out, or the hours are too long, or I don't like the vibe of something, or the space doesn't feel right. I could just change it. I yeah. Just change it. It's all on me eventually. Or, you know, just that, that's it. And that's how I wanted it to be from the get go. And so for better or worse, I know like all those like entrepreneurial podcasts and all that stuff out there. Everyone's like, oh, my team, my team, my team. For me, it was like, I just want to do this myself. I like the idea of being a shopkeeper. You know, you go to these stores, you never see the owner. They're never there. Right. I right. want to be here. Yeah, like yeah. if some kid comes in here from Italy and he's got his little piece of like his iPhone out with like, these are like the top five vintage stores in New York City I want to hit while I'm here. And he comes to Wooden Sleepers. I want to be here for that kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I mean, here's, here's a question that I don't, I don't know how you, you're going to take it, but like it's hard, hard ball. No, well, it's just like, <laughs> um, but to grow, do you think you could? Do you think you do you think you will be here? Because if you are going to grow, and that's the thing, and that's because some, and this is the the I'm not going to get all weird like anti capitalist or anything because mm-hmm. I, I you know, but if the if the store does grow, you mm-hmm. you can't. Sure. Yeah. Look, can't be there. Excuse of me. Of course. Like, I want to grow the business, right? And it has. But for me, like in 2019, you know, this all this like talk about like hockey stick growth and like that's not me like that's not what i'm interested in i don't care like i'm looking at it 
on like a 20-year timeline. And if I can grow a little bit year over year, as long as I'm doing better last this year than I was last year, and I can pay my bills, you know, I'm not going to say it's not difficult. Like it's hard as hell. You know, I'm out here. There's no foot traffic. Yeah. You know what I mean? We have struggles too. Like it's definitely hard, yeah. but I'm not ready to just like take on some like multi-million dollar investment at this point. You know yeah. what I mean? Who knows what the future holds? I'm not going to say like, oh, we'll never get investment or never take on a partner because I want the brand to grow. Of yeah. course. I would be, you know, it's like I got a family to think about. I have the brand to think about and I don't want to ever limit it, but I also don't want to... I mean, my God, my biggest fear would be like getting fired from my own company. I mean, you hear those horror stories, like, <laughs> my God, that would be heartbreaking, right? Yeah. Sometimes the I board wish... has decided to yeah, oh a vote God. of no confidence. Yeah, I've, wa- I've been watching Succession. Come on. It's like, <laughs> it's so personal. Sometimes I wish it wasn't so personal, but it started as, it wasn't even a side hustle. It just was like something I loved. Like right. I always loved vintage clothing. I was looking for something to do. And it was a way for me to tell my story, tell a little bit about where I grew up, shine a light on that part of the island and just do my thing. And it's really personal. Yeah. And so to be able to retain control of that is really important. <laughs> yeah. I want to I want to jump to where are you growing up because mm-hmm. you you know you talked about the the hardcore scene. But before I do, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take a little, little sweet 1792 bourbon. There you go. Yum, yum. Um, who says yum and bourbon, by the way? Man, that sucks. I'm a clown. I'm, if you say yum when you drink bourbon, don't listen to this pod ever again. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't have the terminology to like speak at a high level about enjoying bourbon, but I do enjoy a bourbon. In fact, when I, this is kind of a funny little bourbon story. Okay. So... I went to school for creative writing. Like I always thought I was going to be a writer. Like I wrote for like my small town newspaper. I was like the editor of our literary journal in high school, like all that stuff. I thought that was like going to be my world and life kind of took me in a different direction, but that was always something I enjoyed doing. So when I started Wooden Sleepers, we were actually selling online and I was like, all right, well, this is my outlet. So I used to sit down with like a little glass of bourbon and start writing these insane product descriptions oh, that were dang. like narrative. Like oh, now dude, I don't I remember now that. I don't do that because I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want it to <laughs> Yo, it was like some Jay Peterman shit. Yeah. It was. <laughs> I was like, I was like really going in on the product descriptions. I was like, you are like in the Serengeti. This is like <laughs> the safari jacket. Like yeah. the sun is setting. <laughs> like you've got this this elk in your sniper (laughs) like all this stuff and you know it was funny it was like a cool outlet you know now i don't have as much time for that but you know yeah the bourbon it definitely gets the creative juices flowing you know you don't want to get sloppy but you can just have a little bit yeah unlock the creativity yeah um so to to jump about the long island and Mm -hmm. the hardcore scene there's a question that i get love talking about long island hardcore (laughs) we're not i mean we're not doing an ama or anything but a question i get all the time regardless is why are so many people who are from, you know, I'm going to just air quote, like the hardcore mm-hmm. scene, why are they all working in menswear? <laughs> Yo, I don't think there's that many of us. I think we just love talking about hardcore. So it makes it <laughs> seem like there's a lot. Well, cause like you got Aaron Levine. Cause we're like old nerds. Yeah. About it, you know, but to be, to be totally real about it, like the Long Island hardcore scene for me in the mid to late 90s, when I was coming of age, like in middle school, like, yeah, middle school, junior high, high school, I was, a, I was an outcast. Like, I feel like I didn't fit in anywhere. You know what I mean? And right. when I discovered hardcore, that was a place where I felt like, oh, these are my people. Like, I have something to do on the weekends. And maybe there was like one or two other kids in my school that were into it. Yeah. But then we would like, there was a bus, the 62 bus that went from Orient Point west all the way through the North Fork and then it circled around through Riverhead and went all the way to Montauk, right? So for like $1.50, you could grab your skateboard and you could go find other skaters and people into hardcore in all these different towns. Because this is like... How big of a loop is that for people uh, who don't know Long Island? like an hour or two. 
Okay. You know? So that's, that's but serious. But you could go over to like Southampton, find a little skate park. I mean, look, people think of like the Hamptons as like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, Martha Stewart estates. And of course that's there, obviously, right? Yeah. But there are like normal people living there and like normal kids, like working people. And, you know, we would find our people and there'd be like little basement hardcore shows little makeshift skate parks in the back of like some you know pharmacy or whatever and it just that world impacted me really deeply and i don't know if it's because like i'm in my late 30s now i've had some time to reflect on like what were things in my life leading up to this point that really had an impact and really influenced me and i think that long island hardcore scene really was that thing for me not only was it a refuge from like high school which i hated it was this place where i felt like you could express yourself like i wasn't right. just a fan i was a i was a participant i had a band and so we got to play shows and meet other people and make friends with other people you were a big band by the way i mean i, I wouldn't say that but you know it was regional. it was regional you know and also like i should say just to put it in in like a, a, a context of time like I know that the internet existed at that point, but like I only knew one kid who was like online at that point. You <laughs> yeah, because I mean? it was dial up and it was AOL yeah, yeah, and you're like, I didn't by the have minute. a computer. Like none of my friends had computers. So like we're talking about like recording a demo tape, going over to Genevieve's, which was like the drugstore, buying is my friend worked there. Actually, I don't want to like incriminate myself, but I think the statute of limitations is passed now. <laughs> but I would pick up every single bundle of Maxell tapes they had. Yeah. And I would bring them up to my friend's kind of cashier station there. And he would just be like, <laughs> beep, beep. Like with his, he was like vocalizing that sound. Uh, oh, snap. And just putting them in the bag. So you were me. lifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the Maxell tapes. And then I would go home <laughs> across the street and I would spend hours just, I had a dual little tape deck. Mm -hmm. We were making copies of the tapes. I would fill up this like Manhattan Portage, like satchel, like bike yeah. messenger bag. Yeah, yeah. Fill it up with tapes. I would hit all the skate parks around Eastern Long Island and sell these tapes for $2, right? And then we would come back like a month later and play some show at like a skate park or some kid's basement or a house party. And like kids were just going off. And it was such a different time, right? Because now it's like everything exists online. That has its benefits, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But this was like a specific time and place for me. It was really important. Um, it impacted me really deeply. And yeah. uh, I still love it. I still love it. I still like try to follow bands on Long Island that are coming out. I mean, Long Island has just always produced really, really great bands. And a lot of them like came about before the internet and were really just like hometown heroes. Yeah. You know, a band like Silent Majority, I mean, they might as well have been like Bruce Springsteen to Long Island. Like kids were just going off. Like a, like like hundreds of people would go to see this band. But like, if you ask somebody from like another state if they've ever heard of this band, no, of course not. It right. wasn't until bands like I can hear people Sunday like looking this up like right now. <laughs> and all those bands started coming out, and they they came from the hardcore scene. You know, they were just like hardcore kids, like the rest of us. But they were really touring, and that's when like things kind of blew up on Long Island and bands started getting signed to major labels. And we don't have to get into all that. But like, the point is like, this was a, a youth culture that was totally independent. It was totally kind of run. And in hindsight, it's like insane to me that some like VFW hall owner would give the keys to like some 15 year old kid and be like, <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm going to have like indecision play here this weekend. And it's like, there's like 500 kids show up and just go off. And it's like, how did that even happen? <laughs> but well, it's it's weird because like I mean and this isn't just to uh exclusive to Long Island but like you have people like Aaron Levine of Abercrombie mm -hmm. who's uh I don't even know what his title is but he's just like the big dog of Abercrombie yeah. for men's and women's mm -hmm. you have like Tony Sylvester at Drake sure yeah. you Brendan Bobenzine of uh Noah mm -hmm. and X Supreme mm -hmm. and all these like people that are like industry including you that are like industry legends who have like made all this stuff but all of them share these roots in punk and hardcore okay so i think i've finally been able to connect the dots on this okay. it's taken me five years but the thing about running your own business the parallel to like punk and hardcore is aesthetically you might look around wooden sleepers and never think this has anything to do with punk and hardcore, right? Right. But to me, punk and hardcore, it was always an attitude. It was always a way of being, right? 
it wasn't so much about a sound or a style, although of course there there is that, right? right? But it was more about a mentality, a state of mind, being independent, putting out your own records, screen printing your own t-shirts, okay. making your own stickers, going traveling around, getting the word out. You know, the more I think about this, the more I'm like, oh, the band was a brand. It was just a different kind of brand. And you never thought about it in that way because there was never any thought that there could be money involved. In fact, that was like frowned upon. These were just like normal kids, right? So there was, right. There was never this idea of like, oh, I'm going to get signed. It, there was, that music was never meant to be mainstream or palatable to a wide audience. Right. So anybody doing it was just doing it because they loved it, right? And it's the same thing with starting your own brand or your own store. That's the parallel. So for me, like the way I operate as a business, the things that are really important to me are all punk ideals, I feel like, right? I'm not saying punk is some utopia, right? There were problems in there too. But for me, it's like, being a good neighbor, uh, doing what you say you're going to do, <laughs> you know, doing your own thing, figuring it out for yourself, not waiting for somebody else to come in. Like so many people, I think, do not start the thing they want to start because there are all these ideas, whether it's like, I, I hate to be like talking all the shit on Shark Tank, but like, I, love, <laughs> I do love Shark Tank, but it's like this Sorry, People Cuban. think like a brand has to be fully formed out of the gate, right? And my fear with that is that like, if that was the case, no one would ever do anything, right? Yeah. Like you got to just start. For me, this is like where the punk stuff comes in. It's like DIY. It's like you want to make your own record. Like when I was a kid, if I waited for some, uh, some label to come around to like yeah. sign us, we would have never made a record, but you know what? We went out, we did it ourselves, we made our own t-shirts, we made our own stickers, we made our own patches. It's the same exact thing with a store. If I waited around and I was like, man, when's that VC going to come and inject <laughs> me with uh, $40 million to start this brand? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I would never have made a store, <laughs> right. but I took what I had in the bank and I figured it out. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you know, that's how it goes. And that's how it goes to this day. It's like, whatever I'm doing here is like, it's just fully independent. Yeah. On that note, because mm -hmm. I think that, first off, by the way, I want to thank you. That's extremely eloquent. Well, no, I'm, I mean that because I think it's a lot of people have this question and are always trying to figure out what that is. But the, sharing the ideals and the, the state of mind into how to conduct oneself in business that's all rooted in punk makes perfect sense now. Um, but to something I want to uh, jump to because a lot of people, when they think of vintage and when they think of like, you know, y you had said this too, where sometimes it can be like costumey mm -hmm. and that, which is not what Wooden Sleepers does at all. But if you're someone who wants to get a little bit more into vintage and you're past the t-shirt mm -hmm. or the t-shirt you have, you thought was vintage, but you forgot that you bought it at Hot Topic mm -hmm. and it's not, <laughs> um, where, where do you? <laughs> Where do you go and, and where would you start? Because I know a lot of people start with like old Levi's 501s mm -hmm. here. Sure. Um, yeah. What would you do? I mean, I, look, I think there are certain pieces, right, that will work with any guy's wardrobe. And it's like, look, if you're head to toe in Uniqlo, like you can come into wooden sleepers and get like a cool vintage flannel or an M65 jacket or some piece of like rugged outerwear mm -hmm. and be on your way. That's going to play very nicely with your whole wardrobe. Like that, you can't say that about every vintage piece you know it's like you can't just go get some like vintage like stetson cowboy hat and like <laughs> like that works but you kind of need the whole yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. fit for that <laughs> yeah, that's know? true so, i tried to put a beret on <laughs> when i left today and i was getting ready to walk out the door and elizabeth was like oh oh okay <laughs> and i was like all right yeah i'll change the hat see ya <laughs> oh my god yeah so i you know it depends where you're at also like i get that like not every town in the country has like a well curated vintage menswear store. Well, so, yeah, they can get stuff from you online. You can get sure, of course, we you have stuff online. Yeah. But I would just start more broadly, and you know, it's with anything with personal style. It's like where are your influences, right? Is it old movies? Is it musicians? You know, what are the pieces that speak to you? You know, if you see like you know Liam Gallagher wearing some like cool like Stone Island jacket from the '90s, and you're like, yo, I, I need to get that. Well, it's like. Yeah. 
there are stores, vintage stores like Rag Parade in Sheffield, England, where you can go get vintage Stone Island. You know, right. it's like the more you kind of scratch the surface on this stuff, like the interesting thing about vintage and especially like curated vintage these days is like whatever you're into, there's somebody kind of specializing that. Like if you want vintage designer, there's someone doing that. If you want vintage 90s, like pop culture shit, you can go to a store and get that. Right. If you want like vintage, like classic American shit, you can come to Wooden Sleepers. Um, if you want like old rap tees, you know, you know, you can go wherever. There's people doing that too. Sure. So I, I would say just like look in the mirror and sort of figure out like, all right, what do, what do I want? Like what's going to excite me and yeah. then kind of go from there. Cause you can, it doesn't matter if you're just like a kid in the middle of Kansas, you know what I mean? Like there are thrift stores everywhere. Not everybody is going to want to go rummage for hours to find a piece of vintage. You may not find it. So that's where like a place like wooden sleepers comes in handy is like, if you watch Serpico and you see like Pacino in a cool watch cap and an M65 jacket and you don't want to go spend all day rummaging through Salvation Army right. to find that and it's the wrong size and it's stained and it's all fucked up. Yeah. Come to Wooden Sleepers. We have it. Yeah. You know, you can just get that look right now. It's easy for yeah. us. And it doesn't smell like an old boot. I mean, no. this, yeah, of that's course. the biggest of course. gripe that I, I always yeah. had whenever I was going is like, oh, like, dude, it Oh, I get why it's old because it hasn't moved in yeah. 60 years and it was and look, surrounded by you know, And a lot of people say like, oh, this stuff is like intimidating or whatever. But like there, there's like a bit of a, like a, like a um, 90s like record store mentality with uh. vintage stores where it's like you go in, you know, the person doesn't acknowledge you. The best shit isn't even for sale. It's like hanging up on the rafters somewhere. It's right. like no one's there to help you. Every, you know, I, I was like... When I started Wooden Sleepers, I made a list of all the things I hated about vintage stores. Right. And it was that kind of stuff that really bothered me. It's like, no, I want the best shit to be for sale. Right. I want to be friendly. I want to welcome people in. I want it to be really customer focused because you never know, like some kids coming in or some guy who's like never bought vintage before and their experience in your store is really going to like set the tone. They could be like, fuck vintage. <laughs> like I'm never, you know what I mean? And I don't want that. Yeah. But if I can help them out and some guys like, you know, I've never really worn vintage before. You know, I'm like, I shop at like Bonobos or Uniqlo. I'm like, cool. Like here are some pieces you can incorporate into that and feel really good. Like we don't all look like Lenny Kravitz. I can't just wear like a leather embroidered vest with no shirt on under it. It's like, I'm trying to help guys like just have something that's a little special. Right. That like the guy standing next to him on the subway is not going to have that same piece. Right. You know, it's a way yeah. to have like that one piece in your wardrobe or outfit that for that day that's like, you know what? This is special. I'm the only one who has this. Of course, there's like a million M65 jackets out there, but no one has this one. Yeah. This one is special. This is mine. Yeah. That's, that's true. Well, one of the things that I've seen you do, so like, you know, you're, you're about to do five years and, or celebrate your five-year anniversary, and now you're in Japan. And sure. this, is, this is a big, big deal. One, because, I mean, obviously, we go back and we're mm. friends, but like, you know, I've seen you slowly do a couple, you know, what you called like the souvenir hats mm -hmm. and souvenir shirts. Right, right, right. With your logo and branding, which is incredible. But Thank like you. now you're like, you're in, mm -hmm. you're being sold in Japan. Like how, how did no, this yeah, happen? It's a trip. It's a trip. And I'm not going to say this was like the master plan or anything. Yeah. For me, it was like, you know, when you go to like, when you're upstate New York and you go to like, you pull off and go to like a diner or something and like, mm -hmm. you're like, damn, this is a cool diner. I'm going to pick up like a mug or a t-shirt because it's going to like remind me of this time. You know, it's like <laughs> right. a special little afternoon. Maybe you were out there apple picking, whatever. You want a little souvenir. I thought about it the same way. You know, I was like, someone's coming from like France or Norway or Australia or whatever. Like, I want to have a little like wooden sleepers t-shirt, literally like a souvenir. So like, yeah. if they cop some cool vintage piece, maybe they want something with the name on it to bring back and just be like... I'm the only person in my whole country with this shirt now or with this hat. <laughs> yeah. And I liked that idea. And plus, I, I liked the logo. You know, we worked with John Contino, acclaimed graphic designer. I mean, he's worked with everybody from like Nike to Jack Daniels to Coca-Cola to Disney to, I mean, you name it. But he happens to be a hardcore kid from Long Island. <laughs> there you go. Who we kind of like ran in the same circle 
And so when I hit him up, he was like, yeah, of course I'll do it. I would love to work on it. And uh, that was a great, that was great for me because it really did set the tone for, for the store, I think. And, and for the store to not just be a store, but for Wooden Sleepers also to be a brand. Right. right? So I, the store you're talking about is J Press, iconic American Ivy brand, multi-generational very revered in in my world you know classic sack suits oxford cloth shirts j press in japan is kind of a different beast um it's a little more contemporary but still rooted in the classic american style right they had like a hundred shop-in shops at all department stores and whatnot over there but they never had a, like a standalone store so they opened the store recently in tokyo came to wooden sleepers asked if uh I'd like to sell some products there. I assume they just wanted vintage. Yeah. Because that's what I do. And they're like, no, we want Wooden Sleepers brand. And I was like, damn, that's amazing. Uh, well, how that, how that make you feel? Because made me feel incredible. Yeah. I'm not going to front like, that's not an amazing feeling. Like, I thought when I made t-shirts and hoodies and caps, it was just going to be like you and Herm and Allison <laughs> wearing them. You right. Know, like my friend, like my father-in-law, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that someone I don't know that that would connect with them in some way, that's an amazing feeling. That's an amazing, I am not jaded in the least when it comes to that stuff. Like, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. So the fact that like, there are people now, J Japanese press has always been really good to us. Like we've always gotten love from like Free and Easy Magazine, Clutch, you know, you name it. Like all those really cool Japanese men's magazines have always shown us love, but our products were never available there. Um, I mean, we all know the best vintage in the world is in Japan. So I'm not even sure like what I could really offer them except my own point of view on it. Right. But the fact that people can now buy wooden sleepers there and wear yeah. it is incredible to me. I mean, but to, to go back, I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And for me, it goes to show that not only have you kind of like helped change how people understand what vintage is and we haven't even touched on the sustainability stuff which to be honest we don't need to at all but like how you know you've you've created a brand that's obviously bigger than the items that you have in your store like mm -hmm. people want things that say wooden sleepers sure yeah. and that that in itself is like a really incredible thing and especially to get a cosign from arguably who i think are the best merchants and retailers in the world mm. to have japan mm. like just like you know and i mean they're repping you hard sure. yeah no it's it's a trip it's a trip it's like I'm, yeah. I'm completely blown away and it's it's amazing you know and and to now be able to say to all those people who have followed wooden sleepers and supported us yeah like hey you can go get this stuff now if you choose to if you want to go pick up a hat or a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or whatever like it's there you know you yeah. can go you can go get it it's, it's incredible it's incredible yeah. yeah i love it it's amazing so we're starting to wrap up, but um, as you celebrate five years in, you know, it's for me, it's like, I guess, three, three years on the pod, mm -hmm. almost four, you're five years in, we've both basically been kind of hustling, doing our own thing. Yeah. What is your next five years look like, if you could, if you could say it? Yeah. I mean, you know, you always hear people talking about this like five year itch, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you come up on five years and it's like, you start to like zoom out a little bit and you're like, what am I doing? Is this still fun? Is it still fulfilling? Is it too stressful? Why isn't it easier? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you're asking yeah, yourself all these that. questions and it's like, well, what's the, what's the, <laughs> what's the cost of this independence emotionally and financially, sure. you know? And it's like, maybe I should do something else. Should I change gears? And I, I think for me, like my decision coming up on five years was, well, I'm just doubling down. I'm going in even harder for the next five years. Yeah. You know, this is still something that's really important to me that I want to continue to grow and push. And again, like it's fine for me to have slow and steady incremental growth. I'm not looking to be like a mall brand or like open up in every city in America. I don't need to do that. Like if right. I could open up one more store, that's great. Maybe another, that's great. Keep making more and more available online, open it up for people who aren't near here to be able to experience what we do. Mm -hmm. That's great. I just want to continue to push it and challenge myself which isn't difficult because everything with running a small business is challenging yeah um but yeah we're not going anywhere hopefully if anything 
uh, we'll be able to just keep extending our reach, keep growing uh, at a pace that we're comfortable with without compromising our values and uh, keep doing what people have come to expect. Um, For me, consistency is really important. Like people say that to me all the time and it's for, for me and for wooden sleepers, it's not about chasing trends. It's about offering what I feel like is our point of view and what we can get behind. And I feel like that's reliable. You know, if you come in here one year and come back the next year, of course, we're going to have different merchandise. Everything's one of a kind, but it's the same feel. And that's yeah. what's really important to me is, is maintaining that sense of identity uh, in spite of like everything around us changing all the time. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome, man. Thank you. Um, there's one thing that you didn't mention at all that I'm going to have to like <laughs> blow up. Oh, boy. And I say it because also as I came down here, I was like, yo, I'm going to buy some. This will be great. So I'll just say this, and then I get to talk first, and then okay. you'll talk. Okay. <laughs> so when Brian first launched his store, there was, just for fun, he had these candles. Mm. And, and then you can give your whole explanation of this. But it was funny because I was like, oh, cool, you know, like a shop has like a shop candle, whatever, that's like fine, mm-hmm. like every store may have. But you guys have these candles mm-hmm. that people go nuts over, <laughs> including myself, <laughs> And it's oh, like, man. you know, obviously it's not a vintage candle. There's nothing, but it's a uh, dead stock wax. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is by far the greatest effing smell ever, oh, ever. Man. Thank you. That's really nice. You know, again, I think it's just like, how did you make it, this candle? It, it like mirrors the whole story of Wooden Sleepers because it was just like a necessity. Like I hated the perception of vintage and antique stores that they smell musty and old and yeah. dirty and dingy. Like, so I wanted, I felt like, well, scent is really important and it's stimulating and it's memorable. And I want to have like a signature scent for wooden sleepers. Like, right. I'm not talking like pumping like Abercrombie, sorry, Aaron Levine, like through the, <laughs> through the air vents, you know? Right, and right. so like the whole block smells like, yeah. like whatever that stuff is called. Um, we just wanted it to smell nice. So we made it, you know, Allison, my wife, she just like figured it out. You know, she's like really resourceful with stuff like that. So it's like, all right, well, you know, we'll go on YouTube and figure out how to make a candle. And then we did that. And of course, you know, people were like, oh, can I buy that? We never intended on selling them. It's like our best selling item. It's so crazy. I mean, I don't know if it's just because it's like something people can grab and go. It's totally yeah. like unisex you don't have to it try it matter. on there's no <laughs> fit it's like nothing it's like you know if you like the store and you like the way it smells it's like a little part of the it's a little part of the brand you can bring home which is nice do you, it is by far i'm, I'm dead serious because i have spent i think the most money i spent on a candle was like a hundred and some odd dollars once. yeah i don't luxury say that to, candles i don't say that to brag i say that because like i care that much about scent yeah and i've you know, like all of my other friends and other people, you know, who will come in here and they'll get you like four or five candles at a time. <laughs> and well, yeah, it's a problem because we can't keep them in stock. You yeah. Know? It's like we make them all at home, like literally in our kitchen. We're like pouring the wax out of a pot, you know, and like heating it up. You know what I mean? It's like, it's right. really like a right. craft. I mean, it's like the most overused marketing, like True small handmade. batch, like handmade artist. It's like, whatever that's all bullshit but like <laughs> we are literally like making these things in our kitchen so it's like you can only make so many at a time we're not like a factory we're not pumping these things out you know what i mean it's just it's a fun thing it's like kind of relaxing and it's nice to do something that's like i've always gravitated towards things that are slightly imperfect or a little rough or handmade i i want to I, I like to have that sense that something was made by a person. Right. Um, and so the candles, you know, it's just a fun thing. I, I, I'm really thrilled that you like them. That's really great. I'm, yeah. I'm, that makes me happy. It makes me, it reminds me that we have to go make a batch. Yeah. Well, and of, of course, you know, obviously all the products and stuff in here is amazing, <laughs> but just saying. Um, Brian, thanks again for, for doing this. Thank you. Jeremy. Um, this was awesome. Yeah. And congratulations uh, on a hundred episodes. Yeah, right. A uh, uh, hundred asterisk episodes. But yeah. yes, you thank thank you so much for for being a part of this. Huge thanks to seventeen ninety two Bourbon for sponsoring this and being being up here, giving us nice full glasses. Um, 
Thanks, man. So yeah. th- this was Thank great. Thank you. Awesome. All right, I'll chat with you soon, man. All See right. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. That's it for this season. We'll get back as soon as we can. Until then, dig through the archive. And if you haven't yet, reach out to us because we want to hear from you. This show wouldn't be possible without you all, and we love to hear your feedback. Sound good? As always, our theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Shout out to 1792 Bourbon for sponsoring the pod. Always drink responsibly, and be sure to check the drink and style guide at 1792bourbon.com forward slash blamo. Follow us on Instagram at blamo podcast, or follow me at the Kirkland. You can send us an email at info at blamopod.com. All right, folks, until we meet again, be nice to each other. Thank <laughs> you.